I think this march will go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, demonstrations for freedom and human dignity ever held in the United States. We certainly don't want to forget the holiday we celebrate tomorrow. If the events of the last few weeks have shown us anything, it's that we still need to be celebrating MLK Day and the purpose for which it was started. Freedom is still needed. Peace and understanding are still needed in this country. And so, although we can't get together and do the normal activities, make sure you celebrate the purpose for this country recognizing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Freedom is still the essential. So find something to do tomorrow in recognition. I used to say all the time that MLK Day is not just the latest barbecue day. I'm grateful that it's morphed, if I can use that word, into a day of service along with celebration, but whatever it is, find some way to recognize and and Lord, please tell some young folk about him. We are in a time now when young folk don't know who MLK was. They have no awareness of who Dr. King was. They don't know why there's a statue of an African-American man on the mall in Washington, D.C., because they have no concept of D.C. <laughs> and what that mall means. They don't understand really why we're up in arms about the assault on the Capitol. But you and I know that despite all the indignities we suffered as African Americans here in this country, we never assaulted the Capitol. We never rioted in the capital of Washington, D.C. We never went there with the purpose of trying to overthrow a government that was passing laws that were not supportive of us as human beings. Despite all those things, we always respected and honored the rule of law because we understood it as a bridge and a vehicle to betterment for our people. And we'll continue to do that, but that means nothing if we don't teach the next generation that purpose. If we leave them to their own devices, then we get anarchy and we get overthrow and no one wins under those situations. It can't be the man who's got the biggest armies or the most weapons. We don't win that way. I still say to you that love is the imperative. I think King would remind you that love is the imperative. Even after they killed him, I would tell you that King would say that love is still the imperative. So continue to teach and share who he was and what he was about. Nonviolence, in my opinion, is still the way to a better America. One day, America will in fact live out its creed that all men are created equal. We're continuing this week in our sermon series and this 44th edition of the Cyber Sanctuary. We're glad that the Lord has allowed us, as Anthony has said, this medium. I can scarcely imagine how frazzled we would be if we didn't have this medium. I can scarcely imagine how our communities would have suffered even more if we didn't even have this respite on Sunday or on Wednesday to come to. Anthony hit a nerve and he hit the right tone when he said that at least God has blessed us with this. And while it's our only medium to communicate here, there, and everywhere, at least we have it here. I can't imagine what would happen if we couldn't come up in what well, I can, we would be hurting ourselves. Because some folk need to come to church. Some folk need to be in the service, and because of that, they'll harm themselves coming to be in the sanctuary. Well, we know it's true because it's happening anyway. People needing the infusion of faith and fellowship coming to the sanctuary even when it's not safe for them to do so. And because of that, we've had super spreader events 
in places that should not be spread in pestilence, but should be spread in love. In churches, we've had people come for everyday events and they've made that situation sicker. We've had pastors who preached about coming on in anyway and they're not going on to glory because they didn't respect this disease and what it can do. And so I'm grateful for Zoom, GoToMeeting, <laughs> WebEx, FaceTime, uh, conference, freeconference.com. I'm thankful for every medium we have, just a telephone so we can communicate with one another. And let's keep on pressing for it. I'm also thankful for these folk who've been coming up in here 44 Sundays in a row, celebrating and helping us to push out a worship service. The Lord was here when we got here. We didn't have to meet. We had to come to his place. This is his house. And so we thank God for him allowing us to continue or to keep on keeping on. We're continuing this week in our sermon series that we've entitled Renewed. Renewed. Renewed is designed to help us reevaluate, recalibrate our lives as we move into this new calendar year. I told you last time that each of us has at least two new years. One is the turn of a calendar year, and the other is the turn on your own chronological year when you have your birthday. And so at this time, we look and we evaluate where we are. It's just normal. It happens in just about everything that we evaluate after a certain while, where we stand. And do you ever stop and ask yourself, where am I with the Lord? Do you ever just assume that everything is okay? I mean, you do it in all your other relationships. Every now and then, conversation with a loved one you've been talking to for a while might not go as you planned it, and you start wondering to yourself, are we okay? And if you got enough maturity about yourself, you'll go to them and ask, them. Is everything okay? Are we all right? It's just that way. It's just human nature. It's in every relationship. So then why should it not be so with the Lord? If you're the one who's always doing all the talking and you're doing no listening, then maybe you ought to ask yourself, Lord, are we okay? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I being who you want me to be? And so today I want to ask us, after we spent last week talking about the Lord wanting to renew our spirits, yeah, the Lord making sure that he can be within us. We talked about it last week. We learned that man being who we are is a physical being, but we also have a spirit and a soul. If we're honest, both of them need renewing from time to time, or else we find ourselves rich in a, in a rut. It's hard getting out of that rut. I don't know. I, I've never had any musical ability, but I can imagine Reg T D every now and then you find yourself playing the same note too much. And you have to you have to do something to make yourself stop going to that go-to note. You have to train a little different, spend a little bit more time because that note becomes familiar to you. It seems like that's a song you always want to sing. Well, it's the same way in our lives. We too have to change up the song every now and then and refresh it, how we are approaching things. And so today, I want to ask you a simple question, simple for me to ask, very hard for you to answer. Do you know if I ask you what your purpose is in the Lord. Do you know what your purpose is in the Lord? And are you living according to the purpose that God has given you? Come on now. It's not unusual. Every now and then, we live in a time and a space where things have to be renewed. Every four years, you have to go get your driver's license renewed. Oh, yeah, things have to be renewed. Not only that, if you got one, a passport, I think you only have to renew them every 10 years, but, but even then, you have to renew your passport. Look how much different you look four years later. Look how much different you look four year, 10 years later on your passport. 
And people need to know some folks still showing their high school pictures. And you've already been to your 25th class reunion. It's, things have changed. You might not even look like the same person no more. You know it. You know it. You know it. When you go to that reunion, if you ever went, that's why they give you the name badges and the pictures on there so you don't have to keep telling folks who you are. Because just the passage of time changes us and makes us look a little bit different. It's not even unusual for couples who are in a very healthy relationship to want to renew their wedding vows. We know that. We've seen it done here. We've renewed dozens of vows at the same time. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just means we want to keep making it right. And we want to help it to be better. But when something is renewed, it gets, it gets an infusion of new spirit, new life, it's freshened. And who doesn't need something refreshed every now and then? Because life has a way of making us feel stuck. I bet if I were to take a poll of the congregation, if you were in here right now and I ask you, who's ever reached a point in life, say on your secular job where you felt stuck, everybody in here would raise their hand. And even though it was going to be more work, you were actually a little excited when they came with a new project because it was something different for you to get involved in. If you've never been there, just keep living, as George Jones would say. That day will come. And so when it does, what, what will you do? Well, it helps if you know what your ultimate goal is in life. It helps if you know what your purpose is. So again, I ask, what is your purpose? And I think I can answer that today by using this as a central thought, the reason why I sing. The reason why I sing. Someone asked a question, the songwriter said, why do we sing? Do you have an answer for why you sing your song? Is it simply because you have a good voice? Or is there an underlying purpose for your song? What's the purpose for you lifting your voice? There's a story that's been attributed to a pastor named Joel Smith. He tells a story about an old lighthouse keeper. Lighthouse keepers' duties were on the coastline of a very rocky stretch of shore in one of the northern coastal cities. Once a month, all the townspeople ensured that he would receive a new supply of oil so that he could keep the light burning in that lighthouse so that ships could safely sail near that rocky coast. But one night, one of the ladies from the town came knocking at the door of the lighthouse, and she begged him for a little of his oil, because if not, she would not have any oil to heat her home, and her children would not be able to be kept warm and so full of compassion. He shared a little. Another time, a father came to him and asked for a little oil in his lamp. Another man needed some oil to lubricate a wheel or else he would not be able to work. Because all of these requests seemed like they were legitimate, not fraudulent, not frivolous. The light keeper gave them each a little oil and tried to please everyone who came to him. Toward the end of the month, he noticed that his supply of oil had gotten dangerously low. And before long, you can imagine, it was gone. And soon after it was gone, night fell. This was a particularly stormy night. Because he didn't have enough oil, for the lighthouse, several ships ran upon the rocks and several lives were lost. 
when the authorities came in to question him about what had happened and why there was no oil and why there was no light, he told them he was just trying to be helpful by sharing his oil. They replied to his excuses. While you did a good thing, you were given this all by the community for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to keep the light burning. That's your sole purpose. The church and the members of the church face a similar commission. There's no end in sight to the demands that come to a person or to a church. But we have to keep the main thing in our lives the main thing. And if you don't understand what the main thing is in your life, then you will, race, you will waste the meager resources that you have been given on things that are not attributed to your main thing. So what is your purpose? Why do you sing? Why did God bless you with what he's allowed you to have? What is it that God has given you, uniquely you, that you find yourself giving away or not utilizing at all? Do you even recognize what he's blessed you with? Or do you spend your time trying to be all things to all people? Two scriptures underline this message, and I think they're helpful to us in terms of underlying, understanding who we are in Christ. This is not going to be one of them amens unless you already find yourself in that place, but I hope you're taking notes so that you can come out on the other side. What's the word we're using? Renewed. Why do you sing? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has already laid a formula for you. It's already laid out for you. If you walk in his way, and then he'll bless you with all those things you need. And then there is a story of a man who exactly meets this profile of knowing your purpose, found in Acts chapter 9. A lot of scriptures there, verses 1 through 18. My Bible says as a caption that it's the conversion of Saul. I'm sure yours might say the same thing. The conversion of Saul. I'm not talking about Saul the king, King Saul. I'm talking about Saul who we know of as Paul. It was his original name. He's the one who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. And can I tell you, he had to have a renewal of purpose in his life. And so that's important because some people have been living and working and walking in their own witness with the Lord, and they've never felt a sense of fulfillment. Even though they've been working hard and doing all that they knew to do, it just never seemed to be on track for them. Maybe you too, like Paul, will have to get to a place where the Lord gives you a different dose of his spirit so that you can make sure you're working in your purpose. Let me give you some guidance on that. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to keep working in a place and not feel like you're making any progress. It's frustrating. Oh, yeah, it's depressing to be working your all, giving it your all, using all your best knowledge and your resources, only to find out that it's not really fulfilling you and doesn't seem to be helping out as much as you want. We have this every day. Anybody ever spend a frustrating afternoon looking around your house for some batteries for something that's gone out? You know, some electronic you got in your house? Batteries don't seem to work, and that's because you haven't put it in there in about two years, and you use it regularly. And you know the exhilaration you feel when you finally look in that last junk drawer and you find that there's a new pack of those batteries in there? Well, that's how we feel when we finally get our purpose. 
that exhilaration we feel when we finally realize that now I can do what I'm supposed to do. Now I can be utilized the way I'm supposed to. Purpose. It seems like a big concept, but it really means what does God want me to do? And let me ask this question. Is that even a, a point you make in your life? Do you want to do something for the Lord? Are you concerned enough to want to do something for the Lord? I'm going to tear down some things in this message that's probably not going to make you feel real good because I think people have been making some assumptions that simply do not sit well in Scripture. Some people have mistakenly believed that their purpose and their vocation are the same thing. Yeah, and some people have not sensed the some people have not felt a sense of fulfillment because they don't feel fulfilled on their job. And they think that because they don't feel fulfilled on their job, that they're not working in their purpose. That may be the case. And it may be the case that the job you have has aligned with the purpose that God wants you to serve. But can I tell you something? You can write this down. Sometimes a job is just a job. Sometimes that's all it is, and we get into trouble when we keep trying to make our vocation, our vocation into the purpose that God wants for us. Let me see if I can make you understand this. Ambition gave Abraham Lincoln the presidency. Ambition gave him the presidency. How do I know that? Because he worked too many times trying to be other positions other than the president. He ran for state senate. He ran for Congress. He ran for president a couple of times before he made it. Ambition is what drove him to be the president. But once he became the president, God gave him a purpose. And that purpose was to keep a nation united and to deal with the issue of slavery. Two separate things. Education and training gave Martin Luther King Jr. the pulpit that it was God who gave him a purpose. Oh yeah, he went to school, he went to seminary, he had theology degrees. It was his desire to serve in the church. But the purpose of leading a civil rights movement came from the Lord. No one sets out to be the leader of a civil rights movement of that magnitude, except the Lord put him there. Moses was a shepherd by training. Life brought him to the sheepfold. He took care of his father's sheep. But it was God who called him while he was working in the sheepfold. It was God who called him and made him his ambassador to Pharaoh's court. Stop confusing your vocation with your purpose. Now, let me straighten this out for you now. I think when you work a job, you ought to work it as unto the Lord. You need to make sure you're serving the, as the best ambassador in that job for him you can, but there are some jobs that simply don't lend themselves to the purpose for which God has you serving. You ever seen anyone who works a job for example, they may work in a certain area of a company or for a municipality. And one of their coworkers will say to you, but have you ever heard them sing? Oh yeah, have you ever heard them sing? They can light up a church when they sing. But when you see that person, you've never seen them in that context. You never knew that they could stand flat-footed and sing a cappella because You've never had the opportunity to share with them like that. Vocation and God's calling on your life are two separate things. Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us that we are God's handiwork. God has designed us to do certain things. Destiny, let me tell you why this is important. Because some people hate their jobs. But it's the means by which God has given them to take care of their family. It doesn't mean they're not good at it. It just means that they, if they had something else they could do, they would do it. It doesn't mean they don't go to work and do their best every single day. 
It just means that this is the job God has given me and I'm going to keep on doing it. And I've been doing it long enough now that I'm going to retire from it if the Lord lets me. But you want to really see them come alive, watch them on Sunday morning when they're standing at the door ushering. That's when the spirit of hospitality comes about. Now the maturity in them will come when they can use that spirit of hospitality on their jobs. But some people confuse level of employment with worth of purpose. Oh yeah, in other words, because you work in maintenance on your job, there's no way your purpose can be in leadership for the kingdom. Somebody needs to say, I know that. That's, that's a fragile way of thinking. Because I can take it right now, I know a man, I got a friend who works, who works in a maintenance role, who is the most dynamic hospitality person I've ever met in my life. I've never met him when he didn't praise the Lord. I've never met him when he wasn't consistent in his praise. I'm not talking about you. I'm, not, I'm telling you. I've never met him when he wasn't lifting the Lord. He's consistent everywhere he goes. While he's on the job, while he's away from the job. In fact, if you need a pick-me-up during the day, find him. Call him. He'll preach a sermon in a moment. He's not a minister, but he show ministers to a whole lot of folk. Yeah, he knows how to turn up in Christ at any time. He loves the Lord and it shows, it spills out of his very being. And so while his job is one thing, his ministry and his purpose is simply something completely different. Watch this now. God made you on purpose and for a purpose. God made you on purpose. All that you are, if you've developed yourself to utilize everything God has given you, then God made you on purpose and he made you for a purpose. You didn't create yourself. Yeah, oh yeah, okay, you may have read a few books. You may have gone to a few courses. You may have strengthened what God has given you naturally, but God made you. See, this is the problem. When we develop ourselves and we go through the school of training, then we think we're self-made. We think we put ourselves in that situation. Can I tell you, God gave you the underlying gifts and abilities to be able to do the things that you're doing. It's no different than any child. God takes pleasure. <laughs> he takes pleasure in creating and then his handiwork being shown off. It's like any child who comes home from school. You ever seen a child run in from school with something they've made at school, how proud they are? I got a picture I want to show you today. Yeah, that's Ashton. Ashton, this is my youngest grandson. He is cheesing. He's happy because he just wrote his name. He wrote his name. He's three. And he wrote his name. That's all. He is thrilled because like his big brother, he can write his name. He can write his name. That kind of joy that he has right there is the kind of joy you and I ought to feel when we use what God has given us to his benefit. We ought to have that kind of cheese and smile on our face when we know we're working in the service of the Lord. It shouldn't be begrudging, nor of necessity, because when we're using what God has given us and we're giving it back to us, Alvin, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves for us to be able to do that. We spend so much energy trying to fit our purpose into our profession. Trying to find that fit. And that's because sometimes we don't understand. Say it with me. My job is just a job. Paul is the example I want to give you. Paul grew up in the best of circumstances. He was taught by the best of the best. 
The finest teachers in the world taught him, made him a Pharisee. Paul had the best education one could find. Saul had the best education one could find. And he told them he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, I was the best of the best. Not only that, he had favor in the temple. Because when this new movement came about, this new movement called the way, that's how they referred to those who followed Jesus Christ in the way. When that came about, Paul went to them and asked them for permission, those who led the temple, to get rid of anyone who was following this nomadic preacher named Jesus in the way. He sought permission and got papers given to him that allowed him to execute them on site. Paul was zealous, and his zeal was for the riddance of the kingdom. Yeah, he wanted only the Jewish people to, continuing, to continue following the path they had been on. Nothing new. Jesus, though he had come, though he had fulfilled his purpose and his mission, if it was Paul's desire, it would have stamped out any memory of Jesus Christ. And the leaders of the temple had given him permission to do that. So if you had asked Paul for his purpose in life, he would have told you it's to stump out Christian, the Christian movement and to ensure the survival of the Jewish religious, uh, the, the Jewish religious elite, to make sure that we keep on thriving. But Paul, Karen, was the handiwork of God. And even though Paul had made some, made some choices, that were not beneficial to God's kingdom growth, God still loved him because he was his handiwork. And God had better plans for Saul at that time named Saul, better plans than he had for himself. And the scripture tells us in this Acts chapter 9 passage, verses 1 through, 9, 1 through 18, that God had a way of allowing Saul to know it's time for me to renew your purpose in life. And while you're zealously following after those who would follow my son and the mission he came for, I'm going to, and he did, arrest you in your tracks. And the Bible says that Paul came on a trip following some Christians to the Damascus Road. And there he met the very spirit of Jesus Christ, the very one he was chasing. Paul didn't recognize him. Even though he thought he knew everything about those who followed in the way, he didn't recognize Jesus when Jesus came upon him. Not only did he not recognize him, the Bible says that Jesus had to ask him, why are you trying to get rid of me? Basically, why are you trying to get rid of me? Why are you kicking against the goats? is what he said. Why are you trying to get rid of the very thing that's going to liberate you? Why are you trying to destroy the freedom you're going to have, not only for yourself and everyone else? It's an amazing thing. I love the way this picture is painted in this passage of scripture because Paul was not, Saul was not alone on this trip. There were others traveling with him and they saw Saul talking, but they didn't see anybody that he was talking to. Saul was standing there having a back and forth with the spirit of the Lord and no one else saw it. And at the end of the conversation, he said to Jesus, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? You see, the reason Paul was in this place is because a lot of us have the same thing. We have a misplaced purpose, a misplaced purpose in our lives because we've been doing what we want to do and asking the Lord to validate it. And there are some things that continue to come along in our life that tend to indicate that we're making progress according to the Lord. But there's always something in it that lets you know that something's just not right. Here Saul has made his way. He's been successful. He's already killed a number of these who follow in the way. He was, in fact, the leader of the mob against Stephen, the very first deacon who became a preacher. He was the leader of that mob. My Bible says that he's the one who got up all the evidence after they stoned him to death. Oh, he's been successful but not fulfilled. He's continuing in that way until he gets to the Damascus Road and God stops him in his tracks. Jesus stops him in his tracks and tells him, I've got something different for you to do. Your life is going to be different than you've imagined it to be. 
Let me tell you this, those who have had misplaced purpose, it doesn't mean you've been irresponsible in life. No, no, no. No, no, you may have been working responsibly and maybe working hard. You provided for yourself and for your family. But you get a sense in your life, there's a pull that God wants something more for you. He wants something better, something deeper for you. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about a job or a career because we confuse that too much. If you continue to confuse your vocation with what God wants you to do in terms of your purpose, then you're going to stay in a state of frustration. The job you may be doing may be just fine, but it may not be what Christ wants you to do for the kingdom. Learn how to separate the two. Things that you give yourself to with passion can continue in terms of your vocation. God has planned good things for you. And those things may even require the skills and the talent and the resources and the influence you have on your secular job. But it is not all-encompassing. Scripture never speaks to whether Paul was at some kind of personal crossroads. It doesn't matter. All we know is he met a man on the road. When he met that man on the road, he realized that he had a misplaced purpose in life. And when God, I always said, and I'll say it this time, when Christ slapped hell out of him on that Damascus road, he realized that there was a greater something for him to be doing, and so Christ sent him on his way. And this is what comes in a whole lot of folks' lives. Paul had a misplaced purpose, but he didn't realize it, and Saul had a misplaced purpose. He didn't realize it until there was a divine disruption in his life. A divine disruption. People, that divine disruption can come in a whole lot of ways. It can be a firing on your second job, on a secular job. It can be firing. It can be the job that you knew that you were, in fact, the best candidate for, the only candidate for, and you didn't get it. You had put all your marbles in that basket for that job. That was God's divine disruption. It could be a sickness that put you in a place where there wasn't nobody to talk to for a while but you and the Lord. Whatever it is, it's a situation that brings you to a place where you've exhausted everything you have. And you realize that the only one you have to look up to is the one you should have been looking up to all along. Many of us have had to go through that process. And this is not to say that you didn't have a job that you were doing great at. It's not to say that you weren't utilizing that vocation to help and to guide folk. It just may not be the fit that God wanted you to have for kingdom building purposes. The scripture speaks about disruptions in folks' lives. It's often this kind of activity, this disruption, that gets our attention and reorients us. Paul, wasn't Paul until Saul was reoriented. Saul's reorientation gave birth to the man we know of as Paul. And it was because of a bright light and a, a bright light and a voice from heaven and blinded eyes. In other words, pa Paul came about after Saul had new vision. When he opened his eyes, and watch this now, I love the divineness of this whole scene. Saul, after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, was blind for three days. He had to depend on other folk to help him. Most of the time when we're searching for purpose, we do it insolently. We do it inwardly. We don't depend on other folk. Can I tell you, God never designed the pieces to work alone. He always designed the pieces to work together. And so when you're looking for your purpose, don't think you got to go it alone. Other folk may be a necessary part of what you have to depend on in order to get. Think about it now. Paul, Saul standing there on the Damascus Road. He struck blind can't physically see. He's dependent on those men standing there to get him to the right space in life. 
the right place in life so that he can meet other people who are going to help him get to the next phase or next stage of his life. In other words, if Saul had not been willing to be dependent on the Lord's voice and the leading of others' hands, then Paul would have not gotten where he needed to go. And I love this too. I love how God can slap hell out of you, hell out of you when you're in the midst of doing wrong. He's in the middle of a trip doing wrong. And God stops him in his tracks. People always think that they have to get themselves right before they can go work the purpose that God wants them. Can I tell you that God knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He'll get you up out of the middle of the mess you put yourself in and get you on the right road. He'll get you up off your own Damascus road and put you on straight street because that's where Paul had to come off. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing to me that God gives us these words, this language that tells us how we have to be. Damascus Road led Paul to Straight Street. And there he met a man who taught him what he needed to know in order to fulfill the purpose in God's life, I mean, his life that God wanted for him. Divine disruption. We lament about it. We cry about it. We're upset. Because God has disrupted, you say, I had a good thing going. Paul would tell you that when I was Saul, life was okay. When I was Saul, I was living the big life. When I was Saul, everybody looked up to me. When I was Saul, I had favor by man, but now that I'm Paul, I'm going through the ins and outs of life, folk trying to kill me. Watch this now. Not only did Saul convert on that Damascus road to a new purpose, he also had another vocation that came about. This is why I told you, you need not confuse vocation with purpose. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that Paul made his money by being a tent maker. And so he had a job that he did to make ends meet. But that didn't stop him from being the best church planter that the Bible has ever known. He still kept the main thing, the main thing. He said, I make tents, but planting churches is the reason why I sing. Telling folk about Jesus is the reason why I sing. I put my life at risk, but the reason why I sing is for the furtherance of the gospel, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That's the reason why I sing. I keep the main thing, the main thing. And he ran into a man named Ananias when he got the straight street. Who is the Ananias in your life that's trying to direct you to a place so you can help understand, so you can understand the purpose that God has for you. I love this too. It's not just for young folk. People think you start realizing your purpose for the Lord when you're young so that you can follow this idyllic life. There is no age limit. There is no age limit. You can be any age and still be renewed in your purpose for the Lord. Don't make me go through all the folk who have had secular conversions to a new profession in their lives, the, the Walt Disney's of the world who lived a poor, can't get ahead life, who lived so wretched in terms of their ability to take care of themselves that the reason many of y'all don't notice that Mickey Mouse was actually designed after a real mouse that lived in his boarding house. Many of you don't know that, that he lived in such a poor boarding house that was a mouse that was in there all the time that was that, that, that he saw all the time and that's where he designed Mickey Mouse from because he lived under those circumstances but he was later in life the success story that we know of as Walt Disney Harlan Sanders was 63 years old before he perfected the KFC recipe that you and I now eat as Kentucky Fried Chicken he had already had too many failed businesses before he even got to that place later in life. Now, I'm not saying that their purposes were for the Lord. I'm just telling you that if you can have a change in your life secularly later. Oprah Winfrey was fired off the first job she had on air. Oh, yeah, people think that everybody's got an idyllic rise to the top. 
She was demoted from the own air position she had to a less favorable time. She tells everybody today that that was the best divine disruption she ever had because it was in that demoted position that she realized how to talk to folk and be compassionate to them. We make plans for ourselves, but God designs our way. God had a plan for Saul. But that couldn't happen if Saul was still focused on killing Christians. And so God had to use all these different agents to redirect his focus and his attention. And there are some indicators of the, in the Bible that point to us being able to do exactly the same thing. But who are those people around you? Some you may be pushing away. Who may be trying to help guide you. You need to start listening to them because they may be trying to help you get on straight street for your purpose. And then last, you gotta find the pathway to your purpose. A renewed purpose given to us from God will always, always, watch this, these three things, and I'm out of here. Do you wanna get on your pathway to your purpose? Paul found, Saul found it on the Damascus Road when he was directed to straight street. He followed the guidance of those who were there, and it led to our betterment and our learning and our upbringing and our, our growth in Scripture. Here we go. The pathway to your betterment, first of all, a renewed purpose given to you by God will always line up with what God has already stated in the Bible. It's always going to line up. If you're doing something, if you're doing a new thing, and that new thing is not lined up with the Bible, then you're doing the wrong thing. All right, there's no need for anything else to be created. No, 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 no. That kind of new is not necessary. God won't contradict his word. No, no, he won't. And so does everything you believe, everything you're doing, is it leading you to do something that God would want? That's a core question you need to ask yourself. Am I working towards something? In other words, God's not going to let your come up be in something that's illegal or not supportive of his people. It's not. And can I tell you this too? God's not going to lead you to something that only benefits you. That only benefits you. If it's just your come up, it ain't come up enough for God. That doesn't mean you might, not, you might get some benefit, but if the primary benefit is just you, then why would God do that? How does that help kingdom? The second thing is a renewed purpose in your life is almost always something that you can't do on your own. Without God's infusion, you can't do it by yourself. In other words, you got to know that it's him who made it happen. He gets the glory. Otherwise, you'll take the glory. Self-made men really don't exist. Because all of it is by God's grace. If your family has had generational wealth, it's because God has given generational blessing. When you stop seeing it that way, then you're not looking at it properly. The Holy Spirit in your lives will guide you toward the new endeavors. Are you listening? And lastly, a renewed purpose is always confirmed through your obedience. In other words, God tells you to do something, and he's not going to tell you to do something that's easy. It's your obedience, your obedience that fulfills that purpose. God doesn't always give the whole purpose at once. He gives it to you step by step. You're not going to see the whole picture at once. Living out God's purpose in your life requires a faith walk. You got to step out in order to know what he wants you to do. And then you got to keep on stepping and keep on walking as he guides you. The older folks had it right when they said, where he leads me, I will follow. It doesn't mean, though, that he's going to illuminate every step along the way. I got to learn how to step out, even if I don't know where I'm stepping. After Paul... Saul was visited by Ananias. He got his sight back. Whatever had blinded him three days before fell off his eyes like scales. 
And that's when he goes on to lead the Christian movement. Can I tell you, God didn't drop a blueprint for what the church was going to look like. God didn't tell him every landmine that was going to be in his way as he went. But God said, if you will simply follow my guidance, I'll take care of you. And Paul never lost sight of that. Some of you sitting here listening to me right now might feel like you're too far gone. You might feel like God can't use you. You may feel like you don't have anything to contribute. But the life of Saul ought to show you that it's never too late for you to know the reason why you sing. So someone asked the question, be ready to give them an answer for why you do what you do. He sent his son so that you and I might have a reason to sing a reason to give him the glory. Validate his gift of salvation by giving him yourself in return. And then he'll give you a mission to bring others into the fold. If you've never accepted his son as your own personal savior, then now's the time for you to do so. I'm offering you the opportunity to come into this kingdom, follow Jesus Christ. All you do is admit that you're a sinner you didn't know until this time that Jesus had died for you. You might have been living a lifestyle that was way outside. It's okay. You can always turn around and come to him. There's nothing you've ever done that's too much for him to love you. Nothing. There's nothing any man has ever done that'll stop God from loving you. All you do is ask him. Ask him to be your savior. Tell him you believe in his son's death and tell him you thank him for his son's resurrection. If you've done that, then the Bible says he'll draw you into his family. You are saved. I love the fact that we get to come together and see one another regularly. What's the reason why you sing? Keep looking up and the Lord will let you know.